I'm so glad to be here this morning. Uh, what a joy it is to share with you guys this morning. And before we get uh, started and with the message, I know that we have prayed a couple of times. I know God heard us, uh, but I'd like to uh, offer a prayer, one more prayer before we get going with the message. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your grace, for your mercy, for your love for us. Uh, we praise you just uh, for the privilege and opportunity to be together this morning. Uh, our prayer, Lord, is that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us today. Uh, you would grant clarity uh, in, from the speaker, uh, that you would grant uh, uh, a clear understanding from the hearer. Uh, God, we ask you just to do your work, and we praise you uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few years ago, uh, I became very ill, and it happened very quickly. Uh, so I realized that I was pretty sick, and I sent a text message to my business partner and said, hey, you know, I'm going to go back to bed. So I don't feel too good, and I'll try to make it in later. And I know this has never happened to any of y'all, but for some reason, he did not get the text. So I'm snoozing away, and all I care about is sleeping. That's about, about how bad I felt. And it's really unusual for me not to go into work on a work day. So about 9 o'clock or so, uh, my employees uh, began to get worried and concerned. And so my partner sent a text message, and he said, hey, are you Okay. What's going on? Did you have a meeting I forgot about? That kind of thing. And uh, 10 o'clock, he sent another text message. And 11 o'clock, he sent another text message. And I'm totally unaware because I'm asleep. So about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, the doorbell rings, and my wife Joy goes to the door. And there are two police officers standing there. And uh, so I hear them, and, I, and I, I'm listening to what's going on. They said, you know, we're here to do a wellness check on Mr. Edwards. Never had that happen before. Um, she said, oh, well, he's fine. He's just sick. You know, he's asleep. And they say, well, we need to see him. <laughs> so I don't know if, you know, if they were suspicious of her, what she might have done to me. But in any case, they, they, you know, they asked that I get up and go to the door, which I did. And I'm very grateful for my employees' concern and very grateful for those officers and their diligence that they would confirm that I was okay. And so this morning, I want to ask us to look at ourselves and we want to do a spiritual wellness check. I know you're going to say, well, that sounds kind of corny. Well, I'm serious, that we would look at ourselves and look at our relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, and I would ask the question, what, how is it with you and Jesus this morning? How's your relationship with our Savior? What we know is that following Jesus is a journey. And this journey is full of joy as, as Christ makes us alive in him. It's full of peace. It's full of happiness and love and healing. 
But because we still live in a fallen world, we also know that this journey is a journey that is filled with challenges, with trials and tribulation and difficulty. And following Jesus is not, uh, you know, wouldn't it be great if we get saved and all of a sudden we're just perfect? The point is we need each other on this journey. We need each other. We need each other for our support, for our reassurance, and for helping each other to grow. So we're not made perfect. You can ask my wife. She'll testify to that fact. And we should never under, uh, under uh, we shouldn't um, think of the church as an organization. The church is not an organization. It's not a club that we belong to, that we come to and we shake hands and we say, how are you doing? The church of Jesus is an organism. It's the body of Christ. It's alive. We're alive with the Holy Spirit that lives within us. And with that comes certain responsibilities and certain privileges that we could minister to each other. Our mission statement to get well that Pastor Jonathan just mentioned, it, it clarifies that for us, right? Our mission statement here is that uh, we encounter God's glory and we pursue Jesus how? Together. We pursue Jesus together because we need each other. And we engage with the Holy Spirit in his mission. It's not all about us. It's about what God has called us to. We sing this song, um, the battle belongs to the Lord, and it surely does. You know why? Because it's his battle. <laughs> it's his battle that he's called us to, and that's why it belongs to him. Pastor Jonathan, has, in this series that we just finished, has reminded us that Christ, being a Christian is hard. But it's through the difficulty and the trials and the tribulation and the temptation, that's when we grow closer to Christ. God is using those circumstances to bring us closer to Him and to trust Him fully. As we grow in Him, we, we learn about the riches of His grace, just how immense it is, right? We, we discover the, the vastness of His love and the extent of our hope that's in Christ. So we have something that the world knows nothing about. And because we're dependent upon each other to grow, as we learn to trust Christ in his grace, in his love, and in his hope, we're able to share that with each other so that they too can grow. So we're not yet made perfect and we're, we don't yet have all the answers. We're all learning and growing as our great and good shepherd teaches us and trains us and nurtures us and brings us along and draws him closer to him that conforms us more and more to him and his likeness. And Jesus modeled all of these things with the disciples as they journeyed with him. And we want to look this morning at several passages that, that show us how Jesus did that with his disciples. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 8 to begin with. And how Jesus nurtured their faith 
And he brought, brought them along in their understanding on this journey. So the first passage is Mark 8, 22 to 26. And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hand, hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And he sent to him, him to his home saying, do not even go or enter into the village. At this point in Mark's gospel, we're at a turning point. We're approaching a, a hinge point in the gospels. And so far, the disciples have been with Jesus. They have observed him in everything he has done, uh, how he performed miracles of healing, how he exercised demonic spirits, how he confronted the Pharisees, how he taught the people, and then as he spent time with the disciples teaching them privately. And yet they were still struggling to understand. Just like us, we have a lot of unanswered questions. We struggle to understand. But what, what Mark is driving to and what Peter or what uh, Jesus is bringing them to a point is that point of faith where they trust Christ. They realize who he is and they trust in him. But they're struggling. They're, they're, they're thinking, who is this man? If you remember in Mark 4, when Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat on a cushion, there's a raging storm on the Sea of Galilee. The disciples are terrified. And they're like, what are we going to do? We're about to perish. And they wake Jesus up and they say, teacher, don't you even care? How can you be sleeping like at a time like this? Don't you even care that we're about to perish? And Jesus wakes up and he speaks. And the wind is calmed and the waves are calmed. So the disciples said, praise God. Thank you so much, Jesus, for saving us. Right? Nah, they're terrified again. First, they were terrified about this storm that was raging outside of the boat. And now they're terrified of this man who's in the boat with them. And they asked this question, who is this man? Who is this man? Another uh, example was, is in Mark 14. Jesus had miraculously fed 5,000 plus people. And then he had miraculously fed 4,000 plus people with the help of the disciples. They participated in the miracle. And here they are in the boat. And they realize that they only have one loaf of bread. They're going, let's say there's 12 of us, and there's Jesus, and they, you know, we don't have enough to eat. And they're having this dialogue. And I'm sure Thomas said, well, of course we don't have enough to eat. I guess we're going to have to all starve, right? And Judas is sitting next to him, and he said, well, we certainly don't have any funds to buy any, right? And Jesus is hearing all of this going on, and he uses it as an opportunity and he says, look, you need to beware of the leaven 
of the Pharisees and of Herod. And what he's trying to get them to see is that it's not about physical bread. It's because he's the bread of life and there's a spiritual reality behind it. And he's saying, don't you remember? Well, what happened? Don't you remember that all those people that were fed? Don't be like the Pharisees when confronted with truth, their hearts were hardened because they were threatened by who Jesus was and they were threatened by the implications that he would have upon their position, upon their power, upon their prestige in public life, religious life, personal life. And they hardened their hearts. They were unwilling to give up their power and prestige. And their hearts became hardened to the things of Christ. The disciples, it was like, they're still worried about what what are we going to have for lunch? They're in the boat. There's no Burger King close. There's no place to go. And they're really concerned. They were concerned about their physical needs. Jesus was concerned about their faith. Jesus was concerned about their lack of faith. In Mark 8, 17, Jesus asked, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? Jesus says it's more. It's about more than physical bread. And some of us... When we come to Christ, we're given ears to hear. We're given eyes to see. And yet, we don't understand that it's more. It's about more than the bread, the physical bread. It's all about the relationship with Christ. Mark shows us that those who might have had an advantage in understanding who Jesus was, they were among those who rejected him. That's why I love Mark so much, because it moves quick, it moves fast, but he gives us so much detail. In Mark 3, Jesus' own family, in the beginning of his ministry, they thought he was mad. Y'all read that before? They thought he was mad. Who, what, is, what is he doing? Thought he was out of his mind. In Mark 6, Jesus goes back to Nazareth, his hometown, with the disciples. And what did they do? They fully rejected him. Mark says that he was only able to perform a few miracles there because they didn't want him there. They forced him to leave. The religious crowd, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes who had access to the Scriptures... And at least when Jesus came on the scene, they would have said, well, wait a minute. Let's see if what he's saying reconciles with what the scriptures and the law and the prophets said. And had they done that, they might have come away with a different conclusion. But yet they stiff-armed Jesus right out of the gate. They reject him. And then even the disciples who had lived with Jesus, who knew all the things that he had done were slow in recognizing him. Here's, here's a principle for us. It's possible to know about Jesus, to be around God's people, and still become hardened 
to the love and the grace of Christ. God knows that we're not perfect. He knows our heart. He knows our mind. He knows everything about us. What he asks of us is that we come to him in humility and honesty in worship, in worshiping him, that we fall down before him totally transparent. When you think about that word, transparency, we use it a lot. We use it a lot in terms of our uh, personal relationships and our business relationships. Now I would ask you if you've ever considered the fact that God has always been transparent with us from the very beginning. He was transparent with Adam. He was transparent after the fall through the scriptures. He's always been transparent with us. He tells us who he is. And he tells us what our response should be to him as creator and as redeemer. And when we come before him in humility and honesty and repentance... We're trusting totally in him and what he has said about himself and what he has said about our need. Mark 8, we come to our passage with the blind man this morning, Mark 8, 22 to 26. And we wonder why Jesus healed him this way. You know, we're expecting him to say, you know, either, you know, be healed you know, uh, we're expecting him to speak and it's done. But he does something very unusual. He spits on his eyes. He spits on his eyes and then he lays his hands on him. And the man says, Jesus asked him, can you see? Did you see anything? And he says, well, I see men, but they look like trees. And I think this man was probably not born blind like the, uh, some of the other accounts because he knew what trees look like. And the text says that his sight was restored. In any case, he says everything's really blurry. And so Jesus puts his hands on him again and his sight is restored. And we asked a question, why would Jesus do this? Uh, was he not strong enough? Did he get up on the wrong side of the bed? What went wrong? Well, this was by design. The gradual healing of this blind man is a picture of the already and not yet. The kingdom of God that has come that will continue to grow until it's consummated at the return of Christ. The new heavens and new earth. It also shows us that the journey of the disciple, the healing of Christ and salvation that makes us in, whole in him but yet there's a continual process of growth and understanding and, and being conformed to him that will not be made whole until eternity. This is bringing us to that hinge point in the gospel of Mark. In 827, Jesus asked the disciples a question. And he says, who do people say that I am? And it's a good question for us. As we look around and we see people around us, it's a good question. Who do you say that Jesus is? And they give him various answers and he says, well, I got another question for you. 
Who do you say that I am? And I would ask you that question this morning. Who do you say that Jesus is? Of course, we know that Peter says, you're the Christ. In Matthew, he gives us a little more detail. You're the Christ, the son of the living God, which brings great praise from Jesus. And he says, God, the father has revealed this to you. And immediately, what does Peter do? When Jesus begins to tell him then, okay, we've got this established. They know who I am. Onward and upward, right? And he begins to tell them, here's the next part of the story that you need to understand. That I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to be raised again in three days. And Peter's going, oh, that is not, that, that can't be it. That can't be it, Lord. What you talking about, Willis, right? And Jesus is rebuked to him, Satan, get behind me. Get behind me. What Jesus is saying is that for a disciple of Jesus, we should set our mind, our heart, our ambitions, our trust on the things of God. When things are not, they don't appear to be going our way, we ask the king, what's going on in the kingdom, Lord? What do you have me to do? I should be trusting you. The first half of Mark, in this build-up to Peter's confession, the first half of Mark asks the question, who is this man? Who is this man, Jesus? As we read through Mark, we're, we're getting clues about who he is as he reveals his identity. Who is this man that speaks with authority? Who is this man that has power over illness and disease? And who is this man who has power over evil spirits? Who is this man who commands the wind and the waves? Who can feed multitudes miraculously? Who is this man? And Peter's confession gives us the answer that Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And as we read through Mark, now that we know who Jesus is, Mark begins to explain to us, he's the Messiah, but what kind of Messiah is he? And so Jesus begins to lay this out for the disciples. We see in Mark 8, Jesus is a Messiah that suffers. And he tells them three times uh, about his impending suffering, his death and resurrection. Three times. Mark 8, Mark 9, and Mark 10. Mark is a fast-moving story, and we find that Jesus taught the disciples, we see a phrase, on the way. And on the way, Jesus told his disciples, and on the way, Jesus said to his disciples. And here, Jesus is explaining to them on the way that he is a Messiah that suffers. And secondly, Jesus said that he is a Messiah that serves. Mark 10, 45 is the very core of Mark's gospel even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's a Messiah that came to serve. And then thirdly, he's a Messiah that reigns. At the same time that Jesus explains to the disciples about his suffering and death, 
He also says, and I will be raised on the third day. And this resurrection power that raised him from the dead as Jesus appeared to the disciples in the sermon series we just finished and ascended into heaven to be exalted at the right hand of the Father to pour out his spirit upon us. Jesus is ruling and reigning today at the right hand of the Father. He's a Messiah that reigns. So in this journey, Jesus provides a roadmap of discipleship and he uses location and context and teaching to bring the disciples along in their understanding. He had taken them all the way up north to Caesarea Philippi. And Pastor Jonathan's talked about this many times. Caesarea Philippi was a location of the grotto where sacrifices were made to the pagan god Pan. And it was referred to as the gates of hell. When the waters ran red, Pan was satisfied. As long as the waters did not run red, they continued to sacrifice people to him. And when, when Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus says, on your confession, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, talking about this grotto, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This gives us a couple of points to be made here. First is that Jesus is talking about the triumphant nature of the church, the victory won by him in his incarnation and death and his, his resurrection and, and, and the victory that's ours, the hope that is ours, that is sure, the one we look forward to. He's also showing us the peril of the lost sinner that's standing on the precipice of destruction, of hell and death. And the power of Christ res rescues from that destruction and death. And thirdly, Caesarea Philippi was all the way up north. It was over 100 miles to Jerusalem. And Jesus knows, hey, you know, I've laid a lot on these guys. Uh, they said I'm Messiah. Now I'm trying to explain to them that I'm a Messiah that suffers and a Messiah that serves and a Messiah that reigns. But they've got to have a thousand questions going on in their heads. And Jesus is going to use this journey to Jerusalem to teach and instruct and encourage and prepare them for what's coming. So I want to make four points about discipleship this morning. In the context of this journey that we're on. And the first one is a disciple of Jesus follows Jesus. And you're going, duh, that makes sense. But a disciple of Jesus follows Jesus. We know him. We love him. We serve him. We worship him. We spend meaningful time with him. How are we going to learn about Jesus if we don't talk to him? If we don't spend time in prayer with him? We learn about him through diligent study of the scriptures that God's given us so that we might know what he's like. Remember, God's totally transparent with us about who he is and about who we are. And we ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten us and to show us to open our eyes and our ears to his truth. 
Secondly, a disciple of Jesus helps others follow Jesus. So we intentionally pursue spiritual growth for us in order that we might help others to come along as well. Y'all never forget, discipleship is always personal, but it's never private. It's always personal, but it's never private. In God's will and wisdom, he designed it so that we would make this journey together to magnify him and to glorify him in every way as we grow in faith and we grow in understanding, he is glorified. Jesus chose 12, right? He didn't choose one. He, cho he chose 12 and they're all Jewish, but they're all different. They're just like us, right? Man, we're all different. Some of us are so different and we're just way out there, right? But we're still in the body. Can you imagine what small group night would have looked like when Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector got together for prayer? Huh? That's the power of Christ. To reconcile not only us to him, but to reconcile us to each other. A disciple of Jesus participates in the mission of the kingdom. It's not all about us. We live in a consumer world today where everybody's expecting something for them. And the church is the one place where we're given the, that God gives us the privilege to, to share the grace that we've been given, the love that we've been given to others so that they might experience his love and grace as well. We have to understand our place as ambassadors for Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, and Paul says, God makes his appeal through us. That's why we're here. So God can make his appeal through us. We're not an organization. We're an organism. And fourthly, a disciple of Jesus recognizes that God is at work in all circumstances. Our journey includes mountains, valleys, paved roads and dirt roads. And all these things are in our life so that we can grow closer to Christ and we understand that He is involved in everything. That in Him we find our true joy in serving Him, in knowing Him, in loving Him. That we seek to glorify Him in everything. Everything. How we handle the circumstance that we're in reflects to others the degree of our trust in Jesus. That we daily bow before Him in reverence and humility, in repentance, and we trust in Him for His grace and forgiveness. At Get Well Church, we're all about this, these four points of discipleship. And there's something here for you if you're, if you're wanting to know, how, how do I do this? You know, our job as a body of Christ is to equip each other so that we can go out and serve the kingdom. So just as the disciples were on a journey with Jesus to the physical Jerusalem, the earthly Jerusalem, you know, we're on a journey with Jesus to the heavenly Jerusalem.
We face trials and tribulation and trouble, but we also experience joy and blessing and privilege. And we can't understand the what, the why, the how, but we can trust in him because he has told us so. So I'd ask you today, are you holding fast to, to God's promises and his provision and his protection that's in Christ? I say, what about me? What about you? And how about the wellness check? How are things with you and Jesus this morning? Are you struggling in your faith? Are you battling with a besetting sin or you're battling with a relationship? Uh, only Christ can heal. Only He can bring permanent healing. Today is Pentecost. Marks 50 days since Christ was raised from the, from, the, from the dead. And it also marks the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the apostles and upon the church of Jesus Christ. And we don't want to forget that he is a person, y'all. He's not an it. He's a person and he lives within us. And not only does he intercede for us on our behalf, but he also speaks to us on behalf of the Father. And I don't know what you're walking through this morning. But God knows and God cares. And above all, God is able. He's able to meet you in your circumstance. He's able to bring healing and grace and purpose. Jesus provides us with confidence and peace and forgiveness and purpose and power. So I'm going to pray for us. And then I'm going to ask you, as we have a song of response, to come and pray. You can pray where you are. You can pray at home. But just be humbled. Be honest before our God. Yeah, he'll make you whole. Let's pray. Lord, how we love this church. How we're so thankful for the blessings that you pour out upon us every, every day. Lord, we love your people. And we know you love your people. And so today, God, I just ask that your spirit, that he would fill us he would make us, that he would empower us for victory over situations that, Lord, we cause, situations that are part of living in this world, situations that others cause. Lord, help us to see everyone as you see them.
Father, there's those here that are struggling with circumstances, with, with, with sinful habits, with attitude. And God, the disciples struggled with all manner of things. But you as the good shepherd, Lord, you lead us and you show us and you touch us, Lord, with healing and with grace and with purpose and with power. God, we praise you this morning. We worship you and we just ask, Lord, to do your work in our hearts. May we come away from this place, Lord, re-energized, refocused on you as our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.